Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that we come here. Lord, we come to worship you. Um, and Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, it sends, Lord, as an act of worship as we, as we hear and as we respond to it. Lord, that you would, um, Lord, just implant it into our hearts that would make us more like you, Jesus. We pray that in your precious name. Amen. There's a story that's told um, about Verdi, and he, when he produced his first opera in Florence, the composer, it says, stood in the shadows, and he kept his eye on just one face in the audience, the great Rossini. Now, it didn't matter to Verdi whether the people in the audience were, were cheering or jeering. All he wanted was the smiles of approval of the master musician. Listen, so it was with Paul. You know, he knew he was going to suffer for the gospel. In fact, he knew about the problems within the churches. He knew that in Galatia, there's going to be these big issues of, of people trying to um, change and, and alter the gospel. But the approval or the disapproval of man did not move him or change him. Paul wanted, quite simply, the approval of Jesus Christ. See, Paul was an ambassador. He was... He proclaimed the message, and he's not playing politics in this, in, this, uh, in this book. He wants to get the truth of God's word across. The only thing that matters to Paul is the approval of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that is the only thing that should matter to you and to me as well. And the wonderful message of the gospel is that God's complete favor, God's complete approval already rests upon you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Paul is so eager to speak about God's grace over his life, past, present, and future and he does this by telling his story. I was going to read just a few verses. We're in verse 13, just picking up where we left off last week. Verse 13 to 24, it says this. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond any of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human beings. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the, bro the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now, this section of, of, Gal of Galatians is often, I guess, thought of as the autobiography section of this letter, where, um, and 
we can find, of course, much more details about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, we hear about Paul's conversion. But in these few verses, verse 13 to 24, Paul talks about who he was before his conversion. He talks about his encounter with Jesus and his early Christian life. You see, Paul, he's the guy, this is the one who actually um, oversaw the death of Stephen. You know the story. But also many other Christians as well. In fact, he's on his way to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and speaks to him and his life is radically changed. In fact, he's thrown to the ground and he's blinded. For three days, Paul remains blind, and then God speaks to Ananias by the Holy Spirit and, and, and says, Ananias, go and have a chat with Paul. Ananias thinks, no way, this guy is trouble. He's gonna, I'll probably end up losing my life. Paul had such a fearful reputation, but eventually Ananias does go. He lays hands on, on Paul, and sight returns. And from that moment on, Paul preaches the gospel of Christ. He proclaims the good news of God and the grace of God. But Paul isn't just sharing his testimony here just as a sort of idea of general inspiration to those reading it. He is once again using it to try and defend the reliability of the gospel and the message of grace. Paul sees God's grace at work in his life, not only through his conversion, but actually also all the way through his life, right from the very beginning of his life, as we read there, God is at work. Listen, Jesus affects every part of your life before, during, but also after you've become a Christian. It's by grace God's at work, and by grace he has been, by grace he is, by grace he will be at work within your life. And the big point that Paul is trying to get across here in these few verses is that he hasn't made up this gospel nor has he actually heard about it from another man. His great claim is this message has come straight from Jesus himself. He began preaching the gospel that God revealed to him way before he'd met any of the apostles or even any of the other churches. They didn't teach it to him, nor did they try to change it either. This message of grace is God-given. In fact, what's more, the apostolic and the Christ-centered churches recognize this and they praise God because of this. And in all of this, Paul is saying, all of it he's doing, listen, he is pointing, he's pointing people to God. It's not about himself. This is never going to be about Paul. In fact, it should never be about any of us either. This is all about God. All the glory, all the praise must go to God and to God alone. So what does Paul mean by God's grace? What's, what's this all about? What's he talking about here? Why is this grace so good? Why is it such good news? What I want to do, I want to just jump back into the book of Matthew and look at the example from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus had a conversation with a young man who wanted to serve God. And Jesus told this young man, he said, sell all that you have and give the money away to the poor. Of course, this was too much for that young man to cope with. And afterwards, Peter speaking, um, Peter who's listening, 
Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he's reflecting on everything that he's seen, all that is going on as this young man walks away from Jesus. And he says to Jesus, he says, we have left everything to follow you. So what is there in this for us? And Peter's already adding up in his head all that he's given up for Jesus, all the sacrifices that he has made for Jesus. And he is expecting a great reward. Now, was it right for Peter to think in such a way? Well, actually, quite surprisingly, rather than being rebuked, Jesus actually reassures him, and he offers him a great reward. In fact, Jesus promises him something like 10,000% return, that that is impressive on any investment. And what Jesus is saying here is that God's reward is out of all proportion to our service, to our sacrifice. This is not based on our merits. It's not based on your good deeds. It's based solely, completely on the grace of God. To drive this message home, Jesus goes on to tell another story about a generous landowner. This is Matthew 20, 1 to 16. I'll read this little bit. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agrees to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was, the right, was, it, whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and to pay them, beginning with the last worker first. When they, those hired at five o'clock were paid, they received a full day's wage. When those hired first came in to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the landowner, these people work only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Don't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay that last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. And listen, this, this is the radical nature to the gospel. And we see God's care and God's grace See, this landowner who obviously represented God from the very beginning was more concerned about the welfare of his workers than he was about making a profit for himself. So he readily agrees to pay those first workers a good wage, enough to sustain him and his family for, for a day. Some of you may know we were in business for, for many years, and during that time we interviewed and employed some of those people that we interviewed, and we, we're always looking for that perfect candidate. You know, the one, the one who is experienced, who's smart, who's well-presented, who's, who's really trustworthy. And I can remember the very first person who walked into for an interview. She was a young girl. She walked in. She was very casually dressed. She was chewing chewing gum. 
And we sort of asked her the question, tell us a little bit about yourself. And her first reply was, you know what? I'm a little bit anally retentive. And thought, first impressions are so important, aren't they? So important. But listen, the only thing that is on God's job description is that you come as you are. Experience is not required. Smart or well-presented, it doesn't matter. You come as you are. Listen, with all your problems, your issues, all of your fears, your feelings, your guilt, your baggage, there are no preconditions. God accepts you as you are. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, this is what Paul had seen in his own life. This is why he's excited about the gospel of God's grace within his life. He rejoices in God's grace. After all, this guy had been a murderer. This guy had done some horrendous things before God had taken hold of his life. But he had been forgiven so much, and he knew it. And listen, God cares. In this story, Jesus describes how workers were standing around just aimlessly, nothing to do. Listen, today, God still asks the same question of us today. He says, why are you standing around? Why, why are you idle? God cares about people wasting their lives. Sometimes it's because they're doing nothing. Sometimes it's because they're living with sin. It's sometimes because they're busy with me pointless activities and achieving nothing. But to everyone, God says, come to me. Come to me. Listen, God is amazingly gracious. His grace is incredible. See, at the end of the day, a landowner, this landowner becomes progressively more generous. Every worker, regardless of how long he's worked for, receives a day's wage. They were paid according to their need, not according to how much work they have done. And a day's wage for one hour of grape picking cannot be bad by any standard. But listen, here's the principle that Jesus taught, the one that Paul understood and knew, that God gives us not as we deserve, but so much more out of his abundant, out of his unlimited resources. See, you can never get paid minimum wage when it comes to serving God. The Bible reminds us, it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And God freely gives to us out of his infinite love. We don't deserve it. Listen, you cannot earn it. This is grace. This is God's grace at work. And because of it, you can be seen holy and blameless and without fault in Christ when you come to him with a repentant heart. And God is pleased with you because he is pleased with Jesus Christ who covers your sins through his death on the cross. Listen, you're not just saved by grace, but you must live by grace. From the very worst Christian to the, from the very worst sinner to the very best Christian, we come under God's grace and under God's love. Yet so often as Christians, we feel we need to do something. We feel we need to, need, need to put some spiritual sweat into this. We feel as if we try harder or just try a little bit better. Perhaps just pray for longer or read our Bibles a little bit more or just some, achieve some sort of reasonable standard. 
And then God's grace can make up the difference in our lives. Listen, that is what these Galatian false teachers were telling people. You do your little bit. You try these little extra things, and then God will maybe make up the difference. The result of that and the problem with that is we live in that sort of way. We narrow the width of the gulf between our sinful nature and a righteous, holy God. And we develop this very shallow view of sin, convince ourselves that actually we can almost do enough. After all, we're a lot better than those around us. We look around at society and we think, well, actually, I'm doing better than they are. And we think that we're not too bad after all. In fact, all we need is for God just simply to top us up. But if we think like that, it's like comparing two people trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. Story comes from Jerry Bridges' book on grace, worth a read, by the way, just if you haven't read it. But this Grand Canyon, this Grand Canyon is about nine miles from one rim to the other. The world record holder for the long jump is 8.95 meters. Now, I'm guessing that most of us aren't going to beat that. In fact, most of us aren't going to come close if we're honest with ourselves. But actually, the question doesn't really matter, does it, truthfully? Because whether you are the world record holder for the long jump or whether you can barely take a step, any attempt to try and jump across the Grand Canyon, we're all going to end up in the same place. It's not going to be pretty. It's, not going to be, it's going to be pretty painful as well. Because relative to nine miles, any attempt is absolutely worthless. But listen, God has made a way. And he built a bridge across the Grand Canyon of our sin. But he didn't stop with about eight, with about, after about eight meters from the other side. So that all the good people, all the people who are a little bit more religious could make that final leap of faith. No, he built the bridge all the way across. And on the side of that bridge, he wrote the words, my grace is enough. And God's grace is not God making up the difference within our lives. Listen, he did it all. And we, we are desperately and totally dependent on him. See, if the the disciples had told this story, they would have told it very differently. Truth is, so would we, so would I. Because they're happy enough with a generous God so long as he's even more generous when it comes to them. But this employee gives exactly and does exactly what he says he would do. But so many of us read this story and we think it's simply unfair that they didn't deserve all equal pay Surely not. And as Christians, we consider ourselves perhaps to be those workers who've worked a full day. We're the guys who've done the full shift, the full amount, and we look at society around us instead of Jesus Christ, and we begin to feel fairly good about ourselves, and we feel that God owes us something. My uncle spent 40 years of his life in Malawi and Uganda as a missionary doctor. He died in his mid-60s. The last few years of his life were in a great deal of pain. He fought off cancer once he took his life. I remember standing at his graveside and just asking the question, just wondering, God, why? This man has done so much for you. Why die so young? Why die in such a way? After all, after everything he's done, it just doesn't feel right. Why would he suffer? The thing is, We can never obligate God by our obedience. 
You cannot give anything to God that he has not already given to you at all. The reality is that we are more like that one-hour worker than, than we ever think we are. But God pays us so much more according to his grace. He pays according to our need, not to what we deserve. He rewards your service is always and completely out of proportion to anything that you could possibly ever deserve. So God is gracious. When I was doing my final exam at university, one of the students in my class came to me. I'm sure I've told this story before. And he asked me, could I photocopy some of your notes? This guy was married. He had a baby. He was working at nights in the supermarket. He was stacking shelves. When he did manage to turn up to a few lectures, he, he pretty much slept through most of them. And he, I asked him, which, which notes are you missing? And he says, well, actually, all of them. So over the next month, he photocopied three years' worth of notes. He, he learned them off. He turned up to the exam. When I got my results, I got a second-class honors degree. I was, was reasonably happy with that. Then I went to see what he got. You never guess what. He got exactly the same mark as me. And I can remember thinking afterwards, he really didn't deserve that. I'd put all the work in. I did all the effort. I'd been to all the lectures. Those were my notes, not his. It just doesn't seem right. I deserved at least to get a better mark than he did. And it, listen, it's so easy to think that way concerning God. And the gifts and the blessings and the things that God has given into our life is for him to decide so don't go around comparing yourself to other people. It's his business what he does. Instead, look at what God has been doing in your life. Look at how he's been dealing with you. Look at the work of grace that he's already done. Look where he's brought you from. Look where he's bringing you to. If you're really struggling, read Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen, we have got so much to be thankful for. So much. This has been the theme of our worship today. We have so much to be saying, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we see the sovereignty of God in his grace. Listen, if God wants to pay a nobody ten times more than he pays me, that is his right. And God dispenses his blessings as he chooses. He is sovereign. Listen, if you and I end up at the very least in the kingdom of God, that is a million times better than anything that you could possibly ever deserve. Listen, we must never lose sight of our unworthiness before God because if we do, we risk exercising our gifts, fulfilling our ministry with this attitude of just presumptuous pride as if God is somehow fortunate to have us on his team. Listen, without the grace of God, you're nothing but a guilty sinner who deserves only judgment. Yet he reached down from heaven in love to a people who do not deserve. And by grace, we receive his free, his unmerited favor. And the implication of understanding this leads us to two responses. First of all, it leads us to a transformed life. Just like Paul. Radical life change. Listen, no matter how bad you are or how good you think you are, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life, realizing that you can do nothing to deserve God. And sometimes he will allow us to be brought low, maybe even broken, 
before our spiritual eyes are open to see this gulf that exists between our sin and a holy, righteous God, and then to see in Christ this grace, the bridge of his grace that has been built. Listen, he will forgive you, he will accept you and love you, and all of your sins can be forgiven and cast into the very deepest of oceans, never to be held against you again. By grace, through faith, you can know yourselves loved by God, justified, accepted, forgiven. The second thing, it should change the way in which you live as a Christian. Listen, if you love Jesus, you just cannot carry on living for yourself. But listen, because you want to become more Christ-like, it is all and it's only as a result of God's grace within your life. It's nothing to do with your own energy or merits. All our good deeds, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. All the good that we do, our Christian disciplines, all our do's and don'ts, they don't make one pick of difference. God's grace is not dependent on anything that you do, but such is God's grace, in fact, that it may even lead you to the possibility of misunderstanding and asking the question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, shall I therefore go on sinning so that grace may abound? Listen, that thought doesn't enter our heads. We haven't truly understood the transforming grace of God. Because grace removes legalism from our lives. It frees us from our do's and don'ts. It's all about God. And listen, if you fully grasp that this is all of God, that it's nothing to do with myself, it's not an excuse to carry on sinning. No, instead... Once you've truly experienced such grace and such love, instead it should lead us to say, listen, Jesus, I love you. I love you for all that you have done for me. I don't deserve what you've done, but I want to obey you, not because I have to, but because I want to. It's a hard issue. And our service for God becomes an act of thanksgiving. Our prayer life increases. Our love for God's word surely grows. And there is this new freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit as he moves within our lives. And we experience joy. The truth of this is life-changing. This is God's work, the work of the Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would work upon each of our lives, on my life as well. We allow this message to transform us the understanding that Paul understood of God's grace birthed in Christ may be deeply rooted within our hearts. And for some people, God is calling you into his kingdom. Simple prayer of faith. It, needs, it means that you need to repent of sin. It means you need to come to Jesus and give your life to him. There's almost certainly going to be Christians here who perhaps go through each of their days thinking, I just need to try harder, need to do better. You're working so hard, you want to try earn favor with God. Listen, life can become just a list of do's and don'ts, and God can feel distance, and you have no freedom. And the devil just wants to suck the joy out of your life. Listen, you don't have to live like that. That is not the gospel. The gospel is a message of hope, a message of grace. Jesus Christ has done it all. You just receive it. And you live by it. And you love him. And you worship him. In him you can find true freedom. Let's just stand together as we finish. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Father, may your grace take root in our hearts.
Lord, we need you. Lord, we have said, Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord, to change us, to transform us. Lord, we, Lord, that we may become more like you, Jesus. Lord, that's the best way we can live. And Lord, it's not about us trying harder, but receiving what you've done for us. So Lord, I want to pray in these moments. Lord, just as we would reach out to you, Lord, we receive. Just receive a fresh anointing of your spirit, a fresh anointing of your grace. Lord, for the efforts that we think we need to be doing, Lord, may they be, may they go. Lord, may our hearts be so in love with you, Jesus, that we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Fill us afresh, we pray. Fill us afresh today. We ask all of this in your precious name, Lord. And Lord, we say, Lord, that you would get the glory and get the honor. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.